While we make every effort to broadcast the correct information, we are still learning and by no means are White Coat Warriors hosts or guests acting as healthcare physicians or professionals. We will double check the facts presented, but realize that medicine is a constantly changing and complex science and art. We are simply presenting our views and the views of others on our experiences in the healthcare system and will be as evidence-based as possible based on our own experiences. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall White Coat Warriors, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates with White Coat Warriors be responsible for damages arising from the use of the podcast or blog. Hello, everyone, and welcome to White Coat Warriors. It's Rachel Bartholomew, your host here. I'm a little sick today, so don't mind my uh, voice that's going to go all over the place. But I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, Kimberly Seals Allers is her name, and she is a Femtech founder, a celebrated writer, a speaker, a maternal and infant health strategist with a bold vision to transform the experience of motherhood for all and to eradicate racial disparities in birth and breastfeeding. Super, super, super important. Oh my goodness. She is the author of five books, including The Big Letdown, How Medicine, Big Business, and Feminism Undermine Breastfeeding, is the host of a podcast. She's a seasoned podcaster, Birthright, a podcast about joy and healing in Black birth, and is the founder of Earth App, Dropping the Bee for Bias from Birth, which helps Black and Brown women from birthing people having a more safe and empowered pregnancy and parenting experience. I could probably fill an entire podcast just sharing all of your accolades and initiatives, but she's here today. Um, so let's hear from her. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Amazing, amazing. Um, I always like to start off the episodes to ask our guests about what your personal experience has been with your healthcare, you know, journey and what inspired you to kind of start all of these initiatives that you're working on. Yeah. And I think, you know, my healthcare journey has always been driven and punctuated by the fact that I'm a black woman and I'm a black mother raising black children. So that has been at the core of not just my journey, but you know, how I engage with the healthcare system for my children, right? Part of what activated me in the space was my own birth experience, you know, doing, I did a lot of research for a great hospital to deliver at in my city and, you know, felt like I had due diligence, really worked hard because I wanted to have a great experience. And so I went to a hospital that was well uh, reviewed, highly rated, best in class and all of the lists. But I had a really disappointing experience. I left feeling disrespected, uh, traumatized, unseen. And the reality was at that time in my life, I was not yet married and I was in grad school at Columbia. So I was on student insurance 
And regardless of the great work that I had done, which some of it started, those accolades began before I had children, I was treated like an unwed black woman with basic insurance. And that experience never left me because I blamed myself because I thought I had done all the research. In reality, the reviews that I was reading at that time, you know, mostly Upper East Side moms in New York City, white women were just not helpful to me, right? And I did not know that. And it was a rude awakening that people are not being treated the same way, even at the same place. And not everything that you read may apply to you. And so that really was the seed experience for me to create Earth as a way for us to see reviews from other black and brown folks as a way for us to drive accountability and transparency, and as a way for the system to acknowledge that certain people, particularly based on racial lines, ethnic lines, language uh, competency lines, are being mistreated within the current health system through no fault of their own. And so that has always been uh, kind of at the seat of my journey. And then I will say that, you know, as a Black mother, me, I walk into every healthcare setting knowing that I have to fight for my children, right? Like I know that, that they are not valued by the system. And I remember writing a piece and talking about how I never have gone to the hospital in sweatpants, right? Like I, as my children were young, I had an outfit. It never got touched. It was always pressed and hanging behind my door because if I needed to go to the hospital in emergency, I knew that how I looked battered and I was not going to show up in a t-shirt and a sweatpants, right? This was my fear that I would be judged and I needed to make sure that if nothing else, they would not judge me even if it was two o'clock in the morning. And I remember this happening. My son had an allergic reaction, my outfit, go to the hospital, right? And I remember being there, um, being very concerned about him. And the doctors came back in and, you know, he was, he was going to be fine, but you're still a mother and you're still concerned. And they said to me, this is, you know, they were like, so Miss Alice, are you a teacher or are you a lawyer? And I said, well, I'm Michael's mom. What does this have to do with his care? Right. And they're like, oh, cause we were just wondering the way that you asked questions and the way that you were, you know, discussing the issues with us. And I said, wow, my son is here having an allergic reaction a healthcare crisis, and you're trying to figure out who I am, right? Like this is the reality for black mothers, right? That we're constantly being judged, that our children are now being judged based on that. And so this is my journey in the healthcare system, knowing that who I am is immediately an issue and a factor in the care that I may receive and that my children may receive. Wow. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack there. That's it's so disheartening to hear these stories, but I know that it is so frequent and it, it's just insane that you have to have a freaking outfit ready to go, to go to the, the hospital. That's, that's crazy. Has your experience, you know, you said you have three children. Has your experience been different, the same? How did you kind of approach as you went through your, your pregnancies and kind of went through these different experiences? Has it been the same? Have you kind of approached it differently as you, you know, went through your different birth situations? Mm -hmm. Well, I have two children and yes, I mean, those were very different. When I had my second child, I was married. We, we were married by then. And I saw the difference, right. To be how I was treated when I, you know, wasn't a quote unquote legitimate relationship, right? But they still questioned him. It was a really interesting factor. And we see this type of judgment all the time. I was just reading an Earth review, a review in the Earth app, where a Black mother went to her prenatal appointment with her husband and she was asked to turn with her marriage certificate. 
right? Like, why? What does your marriage certificate have to do with prenatal care? There, there are so many judgments about our relationship status, our marital status, our family composition, the ways that Black men serve as fathers, whether they're biological or not. So much judgment about our family. Unfortunately, while some things got better, other things were just the same, right? I think all of that became fuel for me to turn my anger into action and to kind of think about what are the solutions that I could create to address it? What is the advocacy? What could I do as a journalist by trade to talk about these issues, to write about these issues, to um, bring awareness to these issues? And so I think that has been, you know, the ways that these different experiences really just opened up my mind to say, oh, it's different, but still problematic. <laughs> still not, still not having that five or four star experience that I deserve. Yeah, hundred percent. Susan on my team actually uh, did a book review of the big letdown, and and she has in this question. There was such an amazing personal story at the introduction of the book, and she said she was literally sweating when she read it. For those who haven't read it, can you share a little bit about about that story and a little bit about the big letdown? Yeah, thank you so much. The book starts with a very real experience of me kind of driving back to the hospital where I had given birth, trying to get lactation support, you know, felt like I was doing okay, had this meltdown, couldn't find anybody, didn't know where to go. And in, you know, really a desperate attempt, I just drove back to the hospital and went back to the room where the lactation support group was hoping that someone would see me or I could find somebody and, you know, thankfully I'm giving myself goosebumps thinking about it. Thankfully someone saw me, you know, crying, you know, I had the formula that I had been given at the hospital still unopened, trying to figure out what well, was this going to be the end for me. But I felt like the experience really illustrated the ways that women are left on their own to get breastfeeding support. And it really shouldn't be this way. And that was for me, what it was about, like, why did I have to go through all this you know, really desperation. I was saved by a stranger who happened to see me crying and, you know, with a crying baby and crying myself, sitting on the floor, trying to nurse her again, you know, like strangers, you know, like where was the system that should have been in place for me and for all parents post-birth to get that support, to know where to go, to know who to call, to have someone come to me, all the things, all the things that could have happened. You know, that story was so real for me because it just illustrated many ways that the system fails uh, parents in their infant feeding journey and why so many of us don't, you know, miss out on the benefits of breastfeeding, both as mothers and, and our infants when the system is failing so many folks every day. Yeah. Yeah. And my next question kind of highlights this is, is, you know, doctors know how to treat and prescribe erectile dysfunction, but yet lactation dysfunction doesn't even exist as a diagnosis. You, you say this in your book. And for those, you know, who haven't read the book yet, um, what are some of the reasons you think are behind this just lack of understanding and lack of support? Well, we have to remember that we live in a highly commercial industry, commercialized industry, like we live in a capitalist society, and that there is a very powerful commercial interest in our first foods, right? The first things that we eat, our first meals and our first foods as human beings entering the planet, um, it starts from birth, right? And so if you look at the history, and I did a lot of this research for the book, the ways that um, this idea that money can be made when women don't breastfeed, 
that is simply the way that it works, right? And so for money to be made by this commercial interest, which is a, you know, a 30 something billion dollar industry, breastfeeding has to fail. And so they have the, the commercial interest, the capitalism has invested in breastfeeding failing all the time, right? And so that is really what we're up against and what made me so sad and why I wrote the book was because women were taking this personally, right? They were looking at themselves and saying, I failed and having guilt and, and shame and being completely unaware that the system was never built for you to succeed, particularly here in the US, where we're still in the only industrialized nation that doesn't have a federal pay leave, right? Where they're saying 25% of US mothers are going back to work 10 to 14 days after childbirth. I mean, that's ridiculous. When I hear that, it makes my vagina hurt. You shouldn't be going back to work 10 days after childbirth. And that's no time to establish breastfeeding, no time to heal, no time to honor what you just did. Um, and so when we think about the systemic failures, then we can understand like, oh, this is why this is so hard. This is why I'm stressed out. This is why my postpartum depression seems unbearable and unmanageable because the system is not built for us to succeed as new parents. And that's deeply troubling. And I was really sad to see so many mothers, women's parents take that on without understanding that about the system. And so I wrote the book to really show you about the history, right? That started long before you and I were here and the present day forces that have contributed to us being in the situation where motherhood is not valued as important work, right? You, no one wants to pay you for it, even if it's your own money that you put aside for later, they have problems with that. And then what happens, what's the public health cost, right? What's the price that we pay as mothers for children, our health, our mental well-being, all those things. And so that's really why I wrote the book. Thank you for sharing that. It's so important to highlight. I think there's there's just so much guilt and shame and stigma around everything to do with women's health, it seems. And, you know, I couldn't even imagine, you know, you already have all of this guilt and shame. You have this child, you have to go back to work. You have to start making money again. And you're failing because you're not breastfeeding. And they're told that that's the best thing to do for the health and the longevity of your child and how smart they become and all of these things when, you know, it's, it's so interesting that it's so wrapped up in, and I, I never even really thought of it in that way in, in the capitalism and the markets and, you know, formula and all of these things, which even has been such a huge crisis recently. Um, but I know that there's there's a lot of people out there that are working on really interesting solutions around, you know, sharing breast milk and and finding uh, new ways beyond formula. So it, it's it's so interesting that you you share that. I never even really thought of that. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> so as you outline on the Birthright podcast. In the U.S., Black women and birthing people are 243% more likely to die during or after childbirth. Can you outline, you know, some of the reasons that you've kind of identified and and researched for this and, and let our listeners who may not know? Yeah, I mean, I think that for years there was a very dangerous lie being told that part of this issue was about Black women not getting prenatal care or that you know Black women have high blood pressure or they're obese. And I'm like, well, white women are obese too and they have diabetes, but they don't die at the same rate during pregnancy and childbirth. These aren't things unique to Black women, right? And so now the studies have completely discounted or like when you take away prenatal care, even when you do education, right? 
white women's birth outcomes improve with education and income, right? They get better. For black women, that does not exist. A college educated black woman is still at a greater risk than a white woman who didn't graduate high school, right? Education and income are not protective factors. Why is that? Why is that? Why, no matter how high we can achieve in status of life, our birth outcomes don't improve. That is about racism. There is nothing about the melanin in my skin that makes me more likely to have a preterm baby, but there's certainly something about my lived experience as a black person that creates additional stressors, that creates what is known as weathering in our bodies, that actually breaks down our bodies so we literally less healthier because we've been dealing with racial stressors, right? The story about my son, one example of what happens every day for black people, right? And so, you know, we can't ignore the impact of racism as a physical, as a physiological impact on our bodies, right? And then we can't ignore the ways that we are infected by racism, even when we're pregnant. One of the things that contributes to a higher death rate is a higher C-section rate right? Very high among Black women. That is often about control. How many, I mean, the number of C-sections that are actually unnecessary is ridiculous, right? So many unnecessary C-sections, but C-sections are about control. It is not about allowing you as a birthing person to go through the childbirth process, which may take time and someone may have a golf game or, or quote unquote better do. It is not about honoring your desire to have, you know, to have no interventions in your labor and journey. It gets it done. And so many times we see the complications from C-sections complicating, leading to higher mortality and, and morbidity, right? And so how we birth is very much connected to why we are dying more, right? Then what we know, and this has been well documented in data, also in what we see in the Earth Fat Reviews, Black women's pain levels are being dismissed. Their concerns are not often heard. Too many people go, are being sent home and told it was nothing, and then they die the next day. Dr. Shalon Irving, who worked for the CDC, another prominent person, you know, highly educated, working in public health, an officer for our, our national public health system, had a baby, went back to the hospital, was complaining about something, was dismissed, sent home, dead. You know, it's like, this is the constant refrain. Kira Johnson, literally in the hospital after her C-section, complaining, complaining, complaining. Her husband, she was ignored. She was told she was being, you know, hyper sensitive or hysterical, died. Literally, when they opened her up, she had what, seven liters of blood inside of her in the hospital? But you couldn't, you couldn't listen? This is the refrain over and over and over again. And if we don't get to the root of talking about the ways that racism and bias shows up in maternity care, then we are not going to address this issue. And that is why, you know, I created the Earth app as a way for us to highlight it, to document it, turn it into data, and then we work with hospitals to improve. Because if we don't get there, we're not going to, we're not going to really address this issue. And so folks are held accountable to the bias and often racist treatment that too many black and brown birthing folks are receiving. Oh my gosh, that's, it's, it's horrifying. I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, th thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that information. In terms of the app, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to know more about, you know, what are some of the things that you're hoping to achieve and really looking to do with introducing this this app, the Earth app? 
Books. It's like the word birth, but we dropped the B for bias. So it's spelled I-R-T-H. And so with Earth, we really have a dual market mission and purpose, right? On the front end, we're giving our community crowdsourced peer reviews, something I wish I had when I was giving birth, a way to go in, search, see what other folks like you are saying about their care at a hospital provider. Folks are learning how to prepare themselves when they see what other people have experienced from that. And so there's so much, and really on the front end, for us to drive accountability and transparency. What is happening to Black women in the hands of the medical field has been well known. It is information being kept in back in databases. In some places, hospitals pay money to keep that data private, right? So that we don't have to know about it. And that I don't know that somebody could have died in that hospital three days before I arrived. And if it didn't make it to the newspaper, how would I know? Or if you had a good experience there, how would I know, right? And so we really want to use Earth to inform and protect each other, but also to say to the system, I know that you think of Black women as the victims of the Black maternal mortality crisis, but we have power. We have consumer power. We are a powerful consumer block. And so we're here to leverage our consumer power, the ways that ratings and reviews have moved many other industries, right? And again, in a capitalist society, can our power as consumers be used to get hospitals to do better? That is the goal. And then on the back end, we turn our anonymized reviews into data. What can hospitals learn by actually listening to Black people? One of the things that drive me crazy, Rachel, is that there's an important tool called maternal mortality review boards, right? When a death happens, groups go in, they analyze, they figure out what went wrong, they do all this analysis. And I'm like, that's awesome. But why does someone have to die for you to analyze your care? And so with Earth, we say, let's learn from the living. Why wait till someone dies to analyze your care? It's the arrogance and assumption that everything is right until it goes wrong. No, right? So we help hospitals learn from the living by using our data to help them develop improvement plans, strategies, not a one-size-fits-all approach, but literally we have reviews from your city, from your community, from your facility, right? Because racism in New York City is not like racism in Birmingham, Alabama. I let folks know that. I've worked in both places, right? And so how do we create this highly localized approach to improving hospitals and health systems? We have a hospital pilot right now in Detroit. We just signed on Philadelphia, one in Los Angeles. We're working on New York City. You know, we have a partnership with the March of Dimes. We're really excited using this Black patient experience data, the first ever repository of experiences of care of Black and brown birthing folks as a tool for change, as the new source of data that can help hospitals improve their care and ultimately save lives. That's incredible. And it's that's so important because it's not just putting the power back in the patients and in surrounding caregivers and, and supporters, but also you know, doing something about it. I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people fall flat on is you provide this information out to the patient, but if there's nothing done to educate and to change the habits that are happening within the walls, nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep happening. And as many as reviews as you could put out there, nothing's going to change unless someone really brings it forward. And so I absolutely adore that you're bringing that information and saying, all right, guys, you guys have a problem. Let's figure out the root of this and let's figure out how to solve that. That's so, so important. You know, your, your work is really centered around storytelling and the patient experience. And how do you see the storytelling aspect of this as a fundamental piece to patient advocacy um, in your work that you do? Mm. 
it's so critical. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a journalist by trade, right? And so storytelling, capturing people's experiences is at the heart of everything that I do. And I named my nonprofit Narrative Nation because I think that narratives have power, right? And that we can, you know, we talk about democratizing the story of how health disparities are told by shifting the narrator, right? It's not about many times we see you know, the white person's view and they're telling the story of what's going on in the black community. No, no, no. We shift that narrator. It is everything we do is centered by the stories of black people and, and brown folks. And then we use that to, to teach and to lead and to change and to disrupt, um, can't forget disruption and to disrupt the mainstream system. And so for me, that's where it happens. You know, the sad part about it is that when I first started this, I had no idea how many stories it would take for people to actually listen to Black people, right? You would think that one story would be enough or maybe two or even 200. But when you look, and, and this is what racism does, it's always diminishing and dismissing, right? But when I look at how much data, how many stories I have to take to a hospital to, to get them to listen, to get them admit they have a problem, it's disgusting, right? In many cases, it's disgusting. There is no way that if I had that many white women stories that they would be acting that way. There's no way, there is no way. And so when we understand racism as a system, and I love Dr. Kamara Jones, who used to run the Public Health Association was at the CDC, talked about assigning value, right? We also think about whose stories are valued, whose stories are really valued. And if not, how many does it take to have value. And that is quite frankly, one of my biggest challenges. You know, we're constantly trying to get more Earth Reviews in. We're constantly trying to support the community. We are a nonprofit, so we don't have the marketing budgets of apps, et cetera, et cetera. But it takes a lot of our stories, people to listen. And I, I mean, beyond the pity and the, oh my God, poor use, I mean, to hold them accountable and make them change, right? I don't want your pity or your sympathy. I actually just want you to do better. It's really quite that simple. That's really all I want. And it's not about you having your pain porn moment around what's happening to Black people. It's about you having a moment of reckoning about transparency and accountability. And ultimately, the idea that we're pushing is around community accountability. I don't care who else you're dealing with. If you are not, if your community hasn't vouched for the service that they're receiving, then you haven't done your job. You haven't done your job. Um, and so that is really another part of how we're trying to lift up stories as being central to community accountability. Um, and when those stories get better and improve, we want to celebrate you. We want to let everyone else know about that. But these stories are at the center of how we push for change and how we kind of, you know, reward and award, but also hold folks accountable. I want to stick on the community piece of this. Community is something that comes up a lot in all of the conversations I have on this podcast. Um, it seems to be such an important piece to every single person's healthcare journey. Tell us a little bit about some communities you've touched base with, the resources that you've gotten. I know there's Facebook to different applications all the way, you know, to just meeting in person. What are some of the community pieces that have been so critical through your journey? Oh my God, community has always been critical to my journey. You know, I think that when I first started this journey, again, I was a senior editor at Essence Magazine when my first book came out. 
And, you know, there's something about being in management at the largest Black women's magazine that puts you in community, right? And so that has always been a big part of my work. But I often let folks know that when I first went out for my first book, The Mocha Manual, to a fabulous which was really the first book that looked at pregnancy and childbirth for Black women from a sociocultural perspective. And for me, the book tour was focus groups in my community because every place I went, Black mothers and you know pregnant people and people thinking about pregnancy were showing up, sharing their stories with me, whether it was about what they read in the book or why they was excited, why they were so happy to see themselves on a book cover of this type. It was all about the stories. And so that work, which really started with me being in community around my books, grew, right? And so that my writing got attention of the Kellogg Foundation and they challenged me to, I remember the Dr. Gail Christopher said, Kim, I want you to stop writing and start doing something. And I was like, writing is doing something. What is she talking about? But the Kellogg Foundation funded me to take my ideas. And one of the key ideas that I was writing about and taking a lot of heat for it was that why wasn't the community being asked for answers? As an outsider coming into the public health space, people went to the quote unquote experts, the doctors, the research labs, the research institutes, the medical journals. And I was like, and the community in, in that model was a place people went to to fix and change with their great ideas. And maybe they'd ask the community to help them with their execute their great ideas if they were considered aggressive at that time. And I was like, no, 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 no. Why isn't the community at the table to co-create the solutions? Maybe the community has answers and nobody asked the community what their answers were. And so the work that I got funded to do was to literally go into communities and ask community questions to see if they had answers to birth and breastfeeding disparities. My first three cities were Birmingham, Alabama, Mississippi, New Orleans, had a small team, a lot of public health students, and we literally knocked on doors. We went around the community asking questions. Those questions became the foundation of some of the questions that we ask in the Earth app now. So this work has been traveling with me. We expanded that project. We, I was funded again. Kellogg gave us a half a million dollars. I took that project to Detroit. We went to Philadelphia. I went back to Detroit. And so, but this idea was, and I have it on every presentation, whatever the question, the answers in the community. People are like, how come nobody's coming to the breastfeeding support group? Did you ask the community? Why are so many people dying here? Did you ask the community, right? Like we don't want to, again, that goes back to the arrogance of the community doesn't have, is not valued enough to actually have solutions, right? Um, and so this is the way, so being in community has been a real part of it. Prior to even building, you know, Earth, I spent 18 months and I sought funding to spend 18 months in my community, asking questions, getting feedback. Um, we started in New Orleans on the ground, hosting events, asking questions, seeing what could be useful. The pandemic made us pivot to online, but I'm really proud that for me, Earth needed to be from the community and by the community first. Too many times people build products for us and we're an afterthought or we're like a five person focus group. But no, we we spent we had 2000 responses to surveys that were used as part of how we built Earth. And so being in the community, making sure people know that we are community centered and community rooted is the most important job that I have among many hats that I wear, but that's really important to me. Yeah, that's incredible. And I really feel that because 
one of the things I've always noticed is when you do have a question, especially as a patient uh, going to the community, there, there, there is always an answer there. There's always somebody who's went through something and they're there and they have a, a way to get around it or a way to kind of deal with it or, you know, even just a perspective on how to deal with it. So that's, it's such a critical point that you have the answers. You're, you're totally right. I want to I want to address I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this and I I went back and forth with Susan on this on this question because you know it is the elephant in the room but I feel like you have some really really interesting insights and especially since you've done work all across the US um Roe v Wade in your perspective you know how do you see patient advocacy playing a role in ensuring that we have happy, healthy mothers and, and birthing people and, and, you know, bring power back to women being able to make decisions. You know, what, how are you feeling as, as someone who works in this space and going through what, you know, the U.S. has, the U.S. has been through in the last little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's been incredibly demoralizing. You know, I think that like many people, I just woke up like, what year is this and where do I live? You know, it was, it was deeply disappointing, enraging, disgusting. And I hope that it was a wake up call that many of the things that we thought we could take for granted, we cannot. Right. And so my hope is that it does activate women and birthing people, anyone who cares about reproductive justice, that we need to maintain autonomy over our reproductive organs. Now, you know, we know that there's been a unique history in this country of controlling Black women's reproductive powers, making sure that we do not procreate, right? Right, right. Um, we know that the browning of America and the ways that people of color are actually having higher fertility rates is of concern to a large number of people in this country, right? And so, you know, who is it that they don't want to terminate their pregnancies? Is it black people or do they really want more white women to make sure they carry their babies, right? So these are the important um, and unsaid conversations around when you see a group of white male, predominantly white male legislators making laws about people's uteruses and when they certainly express racist ideas all the time. It's it's a really scary time in our country. I don't really have anything to say except I'm concerned. Like the rest of us, you know, I had to sit down. I did a special summer series. I was floating on a, a little floaty, a little swan in my pool called Florence because it was my place to go just to process. Um, but I know that we have to fight. I'm also like, we know that this did not happen overnight. Um, and so I'm hopeful that there are really smart people above my pay grade who are working on our long-term strategy to make sure that this gets undone and permanently stays the way we need it to stay. But the attack on women and the attack on uteruses right now and people with reproductive capacity is still mind-boggling mind -boggling and upsetting. And we're going to have to fight our way out of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, I'm in Canada and we watch this from the sidelines, but I always keep in the back of my mind that this can happen to anyone, anywhere at any time. And it's that fragile and it's that 
that much control and that much power at that level that can make these huge differences for the average person is, is that capability is there and it, it's really, truly terrifying. And so I don't think any of us are immune to it, unfortunately. Okay, so I always like to end our podcast with one kind of final question before the final question. Um, and I always like to ask, why do you believe it's important for patients to take healthcare into their own hands? Hmm. Well, because if you don't, who will? I mean, you know, there's a healthcare uniquely personal journey. Nobody's is really exactly the same. Everything is different, right? And even if you and I have the same medical illness, your support may be different than mine or my environment or, you know, my insurance. And so it's such a uniquely personal experience. You have to own it, right? You have to take it into your own hands. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and I say this a lot in our earth advocacy work is your doctor is not your dictator, right? And I think that for many of us, when we see the white coats, some people may shy away. They may feel it's what we're told to do. But you know, I feel very strongly that people need to explore all the options, you know, do your research, don't over-research, the internet can be a scary place. But I know that even in my own personal journey, I had a terrible time with fibroids. And the only thing they kept telling me at the hospital was have a hysterectomy, have a hysterectomy. This, that's really all they had for me. It was just so upsetting. And I looked into Eastern medicine and, you know, like I, I educated myself on what other cultures are doing. And that was my patient advocacy to educate myself. Is there another way, right? Is there another provider? Is there another place that, that actually blends and thinks a little bit differently? And so that was for me, my personal way of wanting to go down that journey. And I think that everyone needs to take that upon themselves to figure out like, mm, I don't feel comfortable with that. Right? That doesn't sound right to me. Is there another way, right? And I think that in our country, one of the things that we pride ourselves a lot on is choice. Have you like been through the cereal or the spaghetti sauce aisle? Like we like a lot of options, right? And I think as patients, we forget that we are consumers in a consumer system and we need to exercise those options. We need to explore all the options and that our system, which is highly commercialized, has many failures, many cracks, many deep fissures, many abject failures. But we are consumers in it, and we need to lean into that power because that is something we can actually use to our advantage. So whatever that looks like, whether it's your own advocacy, whether it's using apps and technology, obviously that's what we do, putting power back in the hands of people. The people are using apps to track their own health, right? And so you can actually learn more about your body so that when you interact with the doctor or the healthcare, you're like, no, this is, this is my pattern, right? I've been tracking it. Like, this is how I know my body. Um, and that helps you be, become a better patient to advocate for yourself. And so... I'm here for the patient advocacy. I think that it is critical. And I hope that everyone realizes that our time of being, you know, basically silent uh, tools of the medical system should be over. Everyone should be actively engaged at, at any level in their own patient journey. And that's going to make the healthcare system better for us all. Oh, I love your perspective. You have like you drop so much wisdom and knowledge and things that I was just like, wow, like you put into words things that I feel that I just feel like I can't get the words out for. 
Oh, amazing, amazing. I, I just love that perspective. We're consumers in a consumer world of healthcare. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that you have shared. Please tell us where we can find more information about all of your books, the Earth app, everything that you're working on. Thank you so much. So, and first of all, thank you for, you know, sharing. I hope you will come and tell my children that you think I have wisdom. They, I really appreciate the help at home. <laughs> but would love for folks to definitely check out the Earth app at www.earthapp.com. It's I-R-T-H-A-P-P. You can find Earth for free in the Google Play or Apple App Store. You can learn more about me at KimberlySealsAllers.com or follow me at I-M-K-Seals-Allers on all the platforms. Also check out the Birthright Podcast, which is all about telling positive Black birthing stories so that we can reverse this narrative of doom and gloom that's too common. Um, that's at birthrightpodcast.com. And then follow the Earth app on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and see what we're up to. We may be coming to your community with our events and with our knowledge and with determination to make sure that we put power back in the hands of people and get more reviews so that every community can be protected. Thank you. Your work is astronomically important. You are forced to be reckoned with. I hope to God that you continue on in every single capacity that you're working in because you are just a power. I appreciate you so much. And I know the listeners will appreciate listening to this as well. Thank you for all the knowledge you've brought. And um, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great chat. Thank you. White Coat Warriors is a special presentation limited series from High Ivy Health. Are you experiencing pelvic health challenges? We are looking for participants for our upcoming focus groups. Sign up and learn more on how High Ivy Health is helping women down there and everywhere at highivy.com. You can also find us on social media at High Ivy Health to stay updated on our journey as we break the stigma on pelvic health. <laughs>